Welcome. I'm Dr. Moose Herring, orthopedic sports medicine specialist. I'm Dr. Rob Green, sports chiropractor, coach, trusty sidekick. We are lifetime endurance athletes. We are eager lab rats. We are maker of many mistakes. We are family-focused sports medicine docs that are balancing family, work, and fitness and are enjoying the ride. While we are sports medicine professionals, this podcast is not part of our professional responsibilities. There's no doctor-patient or coach-athlete relationship developed in this podcast. We have no financial support from any outside resources. The only support we get is from our fantastic wives that sit back and look at us in complete dismay. Welcome to Hub Life. Enjoy the show. Welcome back to Hub Life, episode 19. Moose, how you doing, man? Pretty good. Summertime's yeah. leaving. We've had some 52-degree mornings. Oh, such a nice break. Oh, my gosh. The the, 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 the podcast we, we, we did about running in heat, and we've been kind of focused on dew point. To see a dew point of 45 to 48 yeah. is amazing. It's like a game changer. It's amazing. Um, you came in with a flesh wound today. Um, you know, I learned a valuable lesson. When you're running trails, you have to keep your head up. <laughs> or down you have to keep your head down wait <laughs> down you mean so keep it off the terrain yeah you, you, you have to keep your head off the trail yeah so yeah, yeah i was running along yesterday and you lose i mean we, we were so lucky to have the james river trail system because it's low impact you can run long beautiful day but if you lose concentration for a second you can go down yeah yeah and you can get ugly quickly man but it's great for stability. Uh-huh. And, but if you're there by yourself, you hit the ground and you think, hmm, is anybody else around? Yeah. That's why I should be there with you. But it's a bad, it's a bad training partner when you're not there. Yeah. But it's all good. I rode, I, I rode today and that, that, that first shower always makes you squeal. Oh, that's the bit. worst. That's the worst part about that injury. Road rash or any kind of rash Just like that. Scrubbing the dirt Ugh. out. So it's all good. But, moving forward. I'm psyched for the fall. I'm psyched for the cooler weather. Um, psyched for a little bit of run focus, like we've been talking about. So yeah, well, life's good. Funny with the uh, with the really hot weather. By like late August, my my run self esteem is always low. You're like, oh, I'm getting older. I'm getting slower. It feels like a slog. And then you get that first cool day, and you're like, oh, oh I actually kind of like this. There's the fitness. Yeah, this fitness is actually enjoyable. Yeah. This is pretty nice. Heat matters for sure. Yeah. So some big racing over the weekend. That's awesome. We got to see a lot of local people race Ironman Maryland. Yeah. And I talked to a buddy of mine, Tim Brown, last night. He had a like like he had a had a good day there. Run looked like it may have gotten a little bit hot. Yeah, and then Adam, who was a guest on the on this show, two or three, three, three you know, yeah. Richmond Tri Club Prez, Tri Club Prez. He did his, but the Facebook post said he did his first Ironman, like he had a decent day. It looked like Ironman made a decision to shorten the swim. Yeah, Tim said that there was bad um, tides coming in and wind going out are the opposite, and it would have been an endless pool for weaker. Swimmers and uh, unlike Cork, Ireland, three or four weeks ago, where two people died, they shortened the course to a thousand meters. So those less strong swimmers were psyched because they had a chance of only most of the swim times were between 15 and 18 minutes. Yeah, wow. Did they do it ahead of time or did they find out race morning? Do you know? I think race morning. Race morning. Remember, we were, we were at Ironman Louisville. And they did that to us. We were just, we were sitting in the, it's the first time I've been in a race and we were in the corral and it was like, 10 minutes before it was going to go off. And then the announcer had said that like, Hey, we're going to delay it by 30 minutes. 
and uh, we're going to redirect the course because we had to go upstream and then down. And the, the current was so so high, so we um, so we had to just go down current. It was like a ten minute swim, twelve minute swim. That was amazing. Yeah, I took out a buoy not because I, I looked up one time. Go, I mean, you got out in the current to yeah. the left, and you're going down with the current at your back. Yeah. And usually you swim and your head goes up and you, you see a buoy off in the distance. You think I'm heading to that buoy. Well, my my next head up, folks. Because you mean you're hauling. You you know how I remember that? I don't know if you remember this, but after the race, the race is all over. We're kind of debriefing how it went. I was like, Moose, man, I'm I'm sorry, man. I, I must have like cut you off when we were swimming because we went we we jumped in at the same time and yeah. we were sort of shoulder to shoulder. And all of a sudden, and it was a weird swim because. I mean, you couldn't see anything. Obviously, hit a buoy. And I was like, man, I must have cut you off. I don't know where you went. Sorry about that. And I thought maybe you were just on my feet. And you're like, that wasn't you. That was the buoy. <laughs> like, you hit the buoy at first. I'm like, that's what I didn't even really see the buoy. And all of a sudden, you got punched in the head and you were yeah, gone. It didn't move at all. Yeah. So I thought that was me. That's pretty funny. Awesome. Um, and, 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 you know, they, they had the men's Ironman World Championships in Nice. Yeah. Very different. Did you watch the race? Or? I watched a recap. I watched. The, I didn't watch it during it. That's the thing. So, no, I, I watched the uh, recap of it afterwards. But um, it just had a it had a different feel. What did you? What, it just seems weird. It's not in Kona. Yeah, it's a different feel. But I think it was a. I think it looked like a really really challenging course. Yeah, the swim was the same. You know, um, Matt Marshall, who's a new not Matt Mar- Marshall, Mike Matt Marquette, who's who's a new pro. He was the first guy out of the water. 47 minutes or so. There's a big group of them that came out of the water, though. Yeah, it was a big group. It was kind of like that's what was at Kona last year where they, they yeah. was like they got out together and you're like, wow, that's a big group. That's yeah. going to be. But, but then, you, you said hard course. The, the bike is hard, but the run is flat. Flat and four loops. Four loops. So, and that, I mean, I'm, you know, it seemed like just, just, just watching the race, there was a lot of crowd support, you know, the, the whole time on time, time the course. And you could see people, you know, I'm sure that the rate ratio could, could see people, you know, coming and going. But I think there's something very distinct, and you know this all too well, and I know this all too well. When you get on the Queen K, and you're thinking, I got to go all the way down to the energy lab, and I'm going to be all by myself. And you go in the energy lab, and sometimes you come out, sometimes you don't. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's something truly distinguishable, distinguishable about the, the kind of run course, it's just hard. Yeah. I mean, it's everything, everything about that course. Hard. Is, yeah. Um, not, you know, I don't, we, I, I looked over the results and looked at some of the age groups, you know, times, and it was truly a cyclist course. Yeah. Right. So my age group, the guy who won our age group was an ex pro cyclist who, but by the way, had been banned for EPO or been on an EPO list. Oh, wow. But his 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 cycling time was thirty minutes <laughs> faster than the number two guy. Oh gosh, thirty minutes! Yeah. And, the, and the guy who won your age group, Vivian Kuroff, got banned from professional cycling really? for doping. Wow! For, for for two full years. And now they're racing age group. And now they're racing wow. age group. And, and and both of those professionals, you know, you know, and they, they're probably clean. That's fine. But but. Eh. You're just being nice. I don't know. You're right. I don't know. But 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 both of those professional cyclists have a thirty. I mean, I'm sure they they rode and they rode perfect, but had a thirty minute advantage over yeah. the next person. Yeah, that doesn't seem that great. No, it seems odd, especially if you're you're a former pro. You've been you've been banned for substances before. I I don't know. Yeah. I just it just leaves a poor taste. And and what, I don't know. Yeah, I have a hard time with that. I have a hard time with that. 
Me, me too. So, but you know, I don't know if you've noticed, but 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 since the men's race, they've really Ironman's put out a, 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 um, a, a ton of stuff on the women's race. You know, coming up. Yeah, and I think they're worried that there's not going to be that much public marketing going toward it. You know, I, I, this is going to. I'm conf, I'm not really all that conflicted on that. I, I sort of this. I'm conflicted to say this out loud because I think it sounds really bad, but I, I really wasn't that intrigued to kind of, it just looked like another professional race to them. They're all racing. It's a world championship. It's a, it's an everyday race with a bigger title. Right. Like does Laidlow really like, man, he had an incredible race at Kona last year. I mean, to do what he did and to, to be at the front and then, you know, hold on to second. So he deserves to win it. He deserves to be an Ironman world champ. Yeah. But at the same time, does he finish? And is he like, Damn, I wish this would have been in Kona, right? It's it's got that feel of like it's our promised land. There's just something emptier about that finish, and that's not to be dismissive of those that raced it and that qualified and that did it. It's just, um, and maybe it's just me being old and and just not adopting to some of the new yeah. things, but to not see you know the them going into the energy lab and yeah. who's coming out and who's fading and, and what that bike course was like and to to see the turn on Javi yeah. and um, just for it to not be in Kona, I wasn't that. I mean, honestly, I wasn't that interested in sort of watching the race. Um, I was interested in kind of what the results were. um, And, um, but it just, it lost the luster for me. I don't know. How about you? Well, I I don't know if you saw Jan's post-race interview the the next day. No. He was all about, I mean, and this was his last professional race. And he didn't didn't have a good day at all. And he he, he basically just ran and shook hands and high-fived and, kiss babies but he said the next day he, he said it is a mistake not having the men and women race together he missed yeah. seeing the women out yeah. there and the and the battles on the course and he, he think he thought it was a he, he thought it was not the same yeah. not having a combined men's and, and you know and, and women's world world championship yeah yeah it so. just feels it just feels wrong it feels i mean i'm sorry to say it it just feels wrong i mean it, I'm excited for the women to run. And honestly, I'll, 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 I'll tune in for the women's race. I want to, I want to see them racing. I want to see the course. I want to see everything that plays out. I'm excited for, I know, um, you know, Renee is going to be out there racing. I know several people that are going to be out to Kona and great for them. That's wonderful. But there's just something so nostalgic and so spiritual about racing out there. And then to have that title and have done it in Kona. Um, you know, I, I, I wonder how sort of Sam, I mean, at the end of the day, Sam's not going to be like, no, this feels watered down because it's incredible what he did, but there's got to be a part of him. That's also like to, to put it, to, to finish down a Leahy drive and finish um, in Kona. Uh, He deserved to have that finish after last year. Um, But um, it's just, it was a, it was a bummer, man. It was totally a bummer. His bike split fourth for four thirty six. He was talking the next day about his power you know, that, that's a guy that weighs probably 150, 160. His power to weight on that big climb. He was o- close to 400 Jeez. for a long, long time. And that looks like a big climb in, in Nice. I mean, a big, Jeez. long, and then that, that net down, but there's still some sharp stuff. I wonder how fast. I, I didn't, what I didn't see was like the intricacies of it. And I don't know that course extremely well. I would imagine there's some killer descending if you look at the profile of it. Well, they said that he and Magnus... Magnus Detlef, who was who was third on the day, I think, after Patrick Lang, knew the course like nobody's been. And, yeah. and and he and Magnus had practiced the the sense, yeah, because you can you can make up so much time on people, you know, going down as far as cutting the turns. Yeah, 
You, you, you spoke of Matt Marshall. It's funny you brought, you accidentally said Matt Marshall. Matt Marshall is a primary care and he's, he's uh, a doc for professional cycling teams. I remember you know, back in the day talking to him and being like, man, it's got to be so wild to see these guys and how fast they ride, how fast they can climb. He's like, yeah, that's impressive. You want to see something stupid impressive? Yeah. Watch them descend. Right. He's like, it is absolutely insane of how right. they can descend. So knowing the terrain and. Right. Um, yeah, so I, Magnus even went to the extreme of putting a dropper post on his saddle really so so wow. so a dropper post is something you can hit the button yeah. and your seat post drops yeah these are mountain biking don't they yeah, yeah. To, to, to put you in a more air position yeah and 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 they showed his bike before he had a dropper post so he could drop it down and be down on the seat in a wow. lower position and, and have a have a lower center of gravity yeah. to do some yeah. of those hairpin turns. It's like those guys that like put their chest on their um, on their handlebars, man. Yeah. So he could basically, I mean, you, you got arrow bars that thing, and you're so far forward. That that's pretty wild, man. It's interesting to see. Yeah, and and they swap it next year. Do you, what do you think they do? Do you think they keep this? I. Do you think they keep this um, revolving men and women every other year at Kona and then at, at Nice or a different spot? Do you think Kona stays in the mix? What do you think? What do you think Ironman is? What do you think it looks like in six years from now? We have five a new CEO coming, right? Yeah. So um, my my personal opinion, I'm, and I'm old school, I, I get it. I mean, I think you go back to a one-day race in Kona, you limit the people who can who, who qualify, you make the numbers tolerable for Kona Township, yeah. right? And I mean, it's hard to qualify now. Yeah. So I, I don't know. That's my most sincere hope is that's what they would do. And I think there's zero chance that they do that. I think there's zero chance that they do it. They're, I think this is a, I think it's a, a slow play to, to unfortunately get it out of there. Yeah. Um, and I think if that happens, then challenge rope becomes a world championship race. Man, it's, that's a no brainer. I mean, that's that race. And it, you know, the typical Ironman race has yeah. two thousand people. Yeah, that had seven thousand people yeah. allowed to race. It sold out in forty-two seconds. Yeah, I mean, that's, a, that's and that's the thing is it's a, such an iconic course. It's such an it's got history, yeah. right? You know they 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 did that with um, seventy point three. It used to be at Clearwater. Right. That's and right. that's a long time ago. And that wasn't necessarily that wasn't a nostalgic place to go, but they were they were moving 70.3 out. But they moved it, I think, for like good reasons, because I don't think it had the draw. It sort of was just a local, um, you know, world championship draft. Kona is truly an international race. Right. 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 So when they separate the 70.3s, there's the Europe, European year. And there's U.S. here, European year, and you sort of you get some draw internationally, but you really sort of cater to that like that region of the globe. But Kona was truly you went there. It's the first race I think I've ever been to. It was like a truly international race. Yep. It's challenging for everybody to get to, but um, um, but to be there and and to to have just I mean the the I mean Mark and. I mean the hill. I mean yeah. it's just amazing. I don't. I don't know. I hate for it to see. I'm even at loss of words as yeah. I think about it now. It's just uh, maybe maybe it's the maybe it's the dinosaur in me. But I, I just I I would love to see them go back to. I don't think they ever will. Um, and I think that you know the challenges are going to try to put it on the same weekend. And I think it ends up moving out of there. I hope I'm wrong. But yeah. so yeah, you know, I think it'd be interesting too for the change in the pros with the new PTO races that have. Bigger purses, yeah. right? I mean, do the guys focus on every other year at Kona? Yeah. Right? 
You know the what? If I was going to at least pick out one or one girls. good thing, is you had like the Marino Van Honackers. You had um, you know they're big guys that just didn't race well in the heat that deserved to be. I mean they were amongst the best, mm-hmm. but the the heat was challenging. So like that part is sort of nice to wear like um like a uh, Scott Molina right one mm-hmm. of the old. I mean he I think he won Kona once, but he I mean the Terminator. He's an incredibly. I mean yeah. he's an icon. He's one yeah. of the. Uh, major four um, and he never performed well in Kona because of the heat. So it opens up some other, you know, elite level um, top tier athletes, uh, the ability to, to, to get a world championship yeah. and, and not be um, affected by that heat. So that part's nice. I mean, maybe there is, maybe there is a middle ground here, yeah. uh, but I was just the, the men's race. I was just sort of like, I, I, I wasn't it. And it yeah. sort of sad me a little bit too. Yeah. Cause then even as I watched the highlights, um, it just was another race. Yeah. Well, I, I watched almost the whole thing because I thought, I mean, it's amazing to watch these guys. And the run did get very, very hot. Yeah. Oh, did it really? Yeah. The run got that seemed really, right. really, really hot. <laughs> Good. Yeah. 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 Well, at least they got to uh, suffer on the, uh, a little bit of the surface of the sun. Yeah. Exactly. Homage to Kona. All right. I had a idea let's maybe dive into and see where it goes but um in our last podcast we were talking about all things running i thought it'd be a good idea if we just had a conversation about um run form and and specifically what i'm kind of thinking about where we go with this is is run form demystified right i don't in clinic i mean i do video game analysis we do a lot of um rehabilitative and whether it's for injury or efficiency and there's just to me so much like misconceptions out there and i think People tend to even overcomplicate it or they take one really sort of nugget of what they think is a fact and they revolve their world around it. So maybe in this podcast, if we if we talk about, you know, run form um, and and break it down in a really kind of understandable way. So that way, maybe by the end of this, you know, we've had a good conversation, but you somebody can leave it with like, oh, OK, well, that boy, that makes a lot of sense. What's the practical um uh, stuff that you can know to make you a better runner, to make you understand that like you're running, there's not this cookie cutter approach to running, right? There's not like, you can't look up run form, copy a run form and have it be perfect for you. But there are some fundamental things that, that if you want to run efficiently, that I think are, are very, very important. So, you know, my thought is like, Hey, run form demystified. Um, and so, I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll leave it to you. Um, after this, but um, you know, my thought is we start with kind of like what what are some of the basic terms um, you know, wh- when we're talking about this so we don't we don't kind of make it too confusing and then we get into you know what are the, some of the key things that you you need to be able to do and what are the key movements you need to be able to have and what are some of the dysfunctions that we see and, and what you do to correct them. But um, what do you think, man? What are, what are your thoughts when you think of run form demystified? So I think I think probably one of the most common reasons we see people in our clinics either poor training volume or poor training technique, lack of efficiency. Yeah. Right. And so number, number, number one, I think one of the leading causes of injury and we all hate injury is running form. Yeah. Second thing, part of that run, 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 running form is there are a lot of Google coaches out there that want to force you into a box. Yeah. That box may not fit your running style, your training, just the way you are. So it leads you down the bad path. Yeah. Right? And then 
the third thing is one of the most important things of running is efficiency. Yeah. If you're trying to be an elite level runner, you're trying to qualify for Boston, you're trying to do these things. If you're more efficient, you're faster yeah. at the same effort. Right. So I think run form is key. Yeah. I mean, like you said, you just, it's a win-win whether you're looking to um, you know, reduce repetitive strain injuries or whether you're looking to perform better and who's not looking to do both, but right. it's, it's not this give or take it's, it's both of them. Right. Both. So there's really sort of, there's, there's no argument to not have it be something that's of importance, whether you're introducing running to your life for the first time, or you're looking to come back to, or you're looking to compete at a very high level. Right. And you know, something you said that you like to point out too, is, is like, you, there are a lot of injuries that we see from like really um, bad form. I've seen some people that have form though, that I've looked at and been like, how are you not injured? And they're not injured. Um, so it does play a role and what role it plays is, is that's also a little bit dirty. Um, as far as like, like I said, I've seen some people that, you know, you're like, you should be hurt and somehow they're not. Um, I will tell you too, that like, like you said, form has a big role in, in, you know, a lot of the wear and tear that happens to your body. But as soon as that creates um, a problem, well, guess what? Your brain doesn't like pain. So it's going to now, it's now going to do something else faulty as well. So every time you're injured and you, you know, relate it back to form, it's going to mess with your form. So that's a lot of times, even when we're doing rehab is like, we got, we got to take a look at it because even if it was good from before, your body's learned some new movement patterns. So, um, yeah, it, it'd be kind of fun to get into this and, and maybe hopefully leave it in a, in a way that doesn't leave people confused. Right. Um, because I think if, like you said, you play Google doc and you go out and you, you, you want to get better. You're like, Hey, I know efficiency is important. And you go down that rabbit hole. You're going to see so much contradicting information. Yeah. Um, you're going to see some things that are just like, I look at them. I'm like, don't, don't do that. Right. So uh, I don't know where they came up with that from. Yeah. Um, so it, it's got to be frustrating. It's got to be really frustrating to somebody who's actually wanting to do this. Right. Um, because there's just, um, there's a lot of info out there that, uh, that that's hard to see through. So the, the ideal thing would be for everybody to come in to hub and have a gate analysis, but that's not practical. No. Right. So when you, with your gait analysis, when you look at run form, can you break it down into simple terms we can move forward with? Yeah. You know, and that, that's, that's part of the key is like, what, how do you keep it really simple? Um, if we're going to, let's get some like basic terms. So maybe hopefully we're on the same page. You're, when you're running, right, you're either connected to the ground. One foot is connected to the ground or, or you're not connected to the ground. Right. So that means like the foot is actually in stance. So it's on the ground or it's towed off. And now you're in that swing phase. So, so you're either in stance phase where the foot is connected to the ground or you're in swing phase when the foot is left the ground. So those sort of two key phases, right. And there's, if that makes sense, then there's either there's the foot strike when the foot's going from the swing phase, when it's in the air to making contact, to then the back end of it when there's a toe off, when it's leaving the stance phase and it's going into the swing phase. So you're either connected to the ground or you're not connected to the ground. Um, and there's those transition points. And then there's that point in the middle that we call mid stance or mid swing where, where both thighs are back up underneath you. Right. So um, that's how we usually like to start to at least get that down. You're either on the ground or you're not on the ground. Hopefully less on the ground. The more time you can spend in the air, right? Less time. Yeah, yeah. Not not shin first, face first on not the trails. Shin first, face first. Yeah. Part of efficiency is being vertical, vertical. not horizontal. Yeah, you spend some time on the ground. So 
your two phases, the first phase is stance phase, and yeah. you de- and you define that by the foot being on the ground. Like start, yep, it has the initial contact. Yeah, starts it's on the ground and it's stance phase all the way through until that foot leaves the ground. Great. So and then swing phase is when the foot's not connected. So you have two simple phases defined by foot contact. Foot contact, easy awesome. enough. Okay. And then as you look at the stance phase, if we're going to subdivide that more, what are the key subdivisions of when your foot strikes the ground to the point where it goes into swing phase? So there's that initial contact, okay. right? So your initial contact. initial contact, right? And then you have the mid stance, and that's after you've made contact. When the other leg, the opposite leg, is now swinging back through, when both thighs, like if you think about your thighs, your upper part of your legs, when they're back even with each other, that's the mid stance. And then there's the toe off when the foot is then leaving the ground on the back end. So if you think about it, you're making contact, then your body is coming back into neutral. Both legs are back up underneath you. One is connected. The other one is not, but they're Mm -hmm. both underneath you. And then there's a toe off where where that plant leg is then leaving the ground to enter into that next phase, which is, is a swing phase. So that's the stance phase. Now, yep. swing phase also has subdivisions. Yeah, that's pretty much the same. We make it really simple. There's the toe-off. You're transitioning from stance to swing, so you're towing off. Mm-hmm. You're leaving the ground. Then there's that mid-swing where that leg is not connected to the ground, but that thigh is coming back even with the other thigh, right? Mm-hmm. Remember, there's mid-stance, and this is also now going to be called mid-swing. Both thighs are... Even one is connected to the ground and one is not. Right. And then there's the contact phase where the leg is going from that swing phase and then initiating that strike phase, which introduces, right? So it, it's that transition. Okay. So that's, that's, that's super easy to understand, I think. So are, 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 are there any, any, any super specific points we should focus on as far as mistakes or efficiency points in any specific points along that run cycle yeah so that's a great question here's if we're going to clump something up um just easily when you're in stance phase right that to me is there's not any technique you're in stance phase the leg is connected to the ground now it has to do with your musculoskeletal we'll maybe get into some strength and single leg balance and support right Mm -hmm. that's not technique so we're not drilling stance phase right we'll talk about stance phase um being, you know, what's your muscle balance like? What's your strength and stability like? And then the drills really come in when the toe leaves the ground and then it goes into the swing phase. So most of the drilling is really the swing phase mm. um, where the biomechanics and how what your, what your muscle and your, your strength and balance is like is during the stance phase. Yeah, so I mean, I, I see people in my clinic almost every day who have a difficult time doing a single leg stance? Oh, there's um, there's the rare person that comes in that can that can do that. It's amazing. Yeah, it's you, you tell them to stand on one foot. Yeah, barefoot. You tell them to, to, to yeah. stand on on one foot, and to watch their foot collapse in or their their, their perineals, the tendons around the ankles fire to try to keep them balanced. Yeah, to, to watch their hip wobble. Yeah. It's amazing. And to think about you cycle through that thousands and thousands of time on a 5 5k run, that repetitive load is going to lead to injury. And 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 that's with them fresh. Right? That's with them yes. fresh 
not even fatigued, no and they fatigue. can't even do it. Right. And then if you really want to like escalate even more, have them do a little tiny mini squat down to that 40-degree knee flexion about where they are, just above and below it, and there is zero ability to control it practically in, in most people. Right. Um, and, you know, we'll talk about what that, you know, maybe when we get to the back end of that, um, what that means, because that's not just balance, right? There's a lot of different things happening. Um, and, and there's a lot of things that you got to do to retrain that. And it starts with the simple things, not the complex things. We have people that, you know, come in and that's one of the simple, easy scans that we'll do with a single leg stance. Can you hold that for 10 seconds? You have relatively good control. Yeah. Can you balance on your arches of your feet neutrally? Um, and almost really very few people can. Amazing. And then those people that can, if you have them do a single leg squat, they, they really lose control mm-hmm. after that. And we're like, don't, don't go home and practice this, right? Yeah. There's some other things that there's some prerequisites to be able to get there, but that is a, you know, if you, if you're listening to this and, and if you're in a car, don't, don't right. Wait till you're standing, but, and do it in front of a mirror. So you can watch, don't go by what you feel you're doing. Watch yourself in the mirror, right. try to stand on one leg and put a soft bend in your knee. Um, and try to do that for 10 seconds and watch what happens. And you think it's more important to watch yourself in the mirror from the front or the side? Well, I, I would watch yourself. I would, well, so when we look at an evaluation, we look from everything, but I would watch yourself from the front just for right. the fact that like, if you turn your head left and right, you're also going to throw off your equilibrium. So don't make it any harder. You know, set yourself up for success. Can you do it right in front of you? Right. And, and most people, um, really struggle with that. And that's a serious, like when you run, it's three times your body weight on one single leg. Yeah. 80 to 90 times a minute, right? right? Do that math for an hour. And then, you know, that, that noise is being absorbed by a lot of different tissues. Somebody's going to make up for it, right? You're not falling over unless you're running trails and you, and you fall over. So that's, that's a general scan that we will look at. And then um, there's a lot behind that to, to, to help people get that better. But that's a great thing to bring up because a lot of people struggle with that. And I think there's, there's another important point about the, the mid mid stance phase one it's very complex mm-hmm. right and two if you've done longer races or if you volunteered at longer races and you're you're on the back side the back 25 percent of those races look at the stance phase of some of these people oh man it is unbelievable yeah. how they collapse in they collapse out and their their stance phase becomes much longer that their ground contact time with their foot becomes much longer. Yeah. So, 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 so if you want to accentuate that point, go, go, go watch the last 10 K of a marathon or, 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 or go run a marathon and see what, what, what people look like on the backside. Well, here's, here's a right. Everything is mad. So think about when somebody's running a marathon or somebody's doing an Ironman, any hitch in the giddy up you see early is magnified at the end. Right. I think a because great of fatigue because of well because of fati- yeah because of fatigue mm-hmm. and altered mechanics right and so so those those flaws become even more exposed right so if you have good form even as you get fatigued if you've paced yourself well you can still have be more mindful of your good form but when you've got flaws in the system and you get that f- fatigue those are like those hitches in the giddy up become completely magnified right. a great example um, and you can probably find this quickly on YouTube is. Um, you know, I, I, I love the guy. I think um, he's very charismatic and, and great to listen to. I don't know if he's the great to like always get the best tips from, but um, is Lionel Sanders, right? Lionel's like stiff on one side and he's a collapser on the other side. And he runs with this clunk, 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 rigid. He runs exceptionally fast. Um, in a 70.3, he can usually sort of hide that mechanical flaw. In an Ironman, he really can't. So if you watch his last 5K of any marathon that he's running yeah. it is tremendously different right that little hitch in the giddy up that's this little wah, 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 in the beginning 
just doesn't seem that big of a deal. So stiff leg is like this huge magnified. He's a great example of that. And so um, that's going to catch up with you. And now does that break you down? Potentially, yeah, it's going to break down. Depends on how durable you are and how much your body can. Doesn't mean you're going to get injured. Well, right. The the percentage goes up, right. but he's leaking out energy, right? He's leaking out energy with that. Yeah. So yeah, those, those things get magnified and, um, single leg balance is, uh, uh, it's going to be a big word, but really it's kind of summed up easily is, is a stability motor control dysfunction, right? And stability motor control dysfunction is like how well your brain is processing everything. So we kind of just lump it into smart brain, dumb muscles, mm-hmm. right? Your brain isn't operating those muscles in a, in a way that's efficient for it. Now there's a lot that goes into that. A lot of prerequisites. Number one, do you have pain? If there's pain, stability motor control is altered no matter what. Right. So once you get to pain and here's the thing, you may not feel the pain, but if your body is working around pain, it's going to work around it. The next one in line after that, and the priority, these are in level of priority is what's your mobility, right? If you're, if your hip flexor is too tonic relative to your hip extensors by default, there's some cool tests that, you know, maybe we can talk about at some point of, of, of ways to test this. Um, then that, that leg is compromised, right? It's it, the stability motor control. In fact, I'll, I'll tell you the test that you do to test this out when you get home is called an inline, um, hold and you go down in one knee. So you put your right knee down, um, and you put your right foot. So it's, it's pointed, um, uh, so the toes are, are pointed away. So your toes aren't locked in. So your leg is resting and, it, and you're, you're in this half kneeling position on your right side. You put your left foot um, directly in front of that right thigh. So if you bring your left foot over um, and your left knee is just bent at 90 degrees, so the foot's right underneath the knee. And so you're in this half kneeling position, but you're in an inline position. Right. And if you just kneel there and don't tighten your core, don't, don't squeeze your glute, don't come up with compensations, to try to hold that position. And can you hold that position for a minute without falling over or losing? Does it look noisy? And that's a great way to see how well your hip is firing relative to your core mm-hmm. and stability motor control dysfunctions are exposed there a ton. We have a ton of people who can do it on one side and then the other side, they can't even hold it at all. And a lot of times they can't do it on either side. Um, and that is smart brain, dumb muscle. Right. So there's a lot behind it. So if you see it, don't just try to go and strengthen one single lie. Don't put fitness on dysfunction. Um, and maybe by the time we, you know, you dive into this, maybe we'll come up with some solutions you can do, but that's another good test you can do to see what that single leg support looks like. So walk through that, we'll, walk through that test, we'll, t- 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 test one more time. So you are kneeling on one knee, on one, one, one knee, yeah. your front leg, yeah. Should you be lined up with your back, your back leg, right in front of that thigh, right? So it's in one line. Like imagine so you're on a yellow line on a street. Yeah. So your shin that's on the ground with your with your toe pointing behind you yep. should be lined up with your knee that is flexed. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. So yeah, if you go like imagine imagine a street line, like a yellow or a white line. Don't go to the yellow line. Uh, that'll get you disqualified. Um, so your line. yeah, yeah. So you're on that line with your downside knee and then your opposite foot comes over and is also in on that line. Right. But it's, it's, so you're kind of like in this half kneeling all 90 degree angles. Right. So it's just a half kneeling position. Okay. So we beat kind of mid stance phase, yeah. right? So there's a lot of stuff out there on foot strike. I mean, a lot of shoe companies are based on specific foot strike, Right. Is there an ideal foot strike? So 
you know, as you ask that, let's, let's maybe, let me take one step backwards if that's okay. Yep. Basic key elements and, and foot strike is, is going to be a major one. The first thing that we look at is posture. We want you to be in a neutral posture. What, what's, what's that mean? Uh, and we'll come, let me just go through the, the top, maybe three things that we're going to look at, right? So posture. So maybe let's start with posture and then we'll look at foot strike. And then we're going to look at that swing phase or that thigh drive, right? So I think I think those are maybe the the three key things that we can look at if we're going to look at being a more efficient runner, right? We can all have different styles, but can we have just some core fundamental things? And before we even get into foot strike, are you in a neutral position, right? And I see this, I see this even instructed um, poorly uh, by qualified people uh, because what what is neutral posture? Right. And so neutral posture means like, are my ears on top of my shoulders, on top of my hips, on top of my knees, on top of my ankle? Am I, am I in, in a nice, good, relaxed alignment? So think about standing like those old school, um, movies with, they would, you know, for etiquette, they'd put a book on top of your head and have you walk around, right? So your shoulder blades are back, you're, you're standing tall, but relaxed, yeah. right? So as soon as we say posture, and even as we say this, and if you're listening to it, what does everybody do? They sit up straight. And they almost always go into extension. Right. So you're just sort of lengthening and you're going tall. Yeah. So think about that book on top of your mm-hmm. head and, and you're going tall. Your shoulders are down and relaxed away from the ears. So you're not in that forward slump posture position. You're, you're not leaning in your low back and you're, you know, in extension or you're not like flexed over and slumped. You're just going tall and relaxed. Okay. Um, and then, so that way your ears on top of your shoulder and your shoulders on top of your hip and your hips on top of your knee and your knees on top of your ankle and the sort of relaxed way. And if you want to know how to get there, like I said, that book or pretend somebody's pulling a string on the top of your head, right. And just sort of link it up and then shake it out and relax. Um, more times than not, it cleans up and you know, we can go into more in depth on how we do that. We do that a lot. A lot of times, even that you got to kind of cue scapular retraction or kind of getting shoulders down, uh, but just nice, relaxed. That's a good neutral position. So scapular retraction is what it's kind of think about pulling your shoulders raised back and right. down so think about like people like imagine yourself at a computer right now your shoulders are forward a lot of times they go up and forward yeah so you want them in a more relaxed kind of back and down so your mom comes by and slap you on the head and says sit up straight yeah so yeah you, yeah so you sit up straight and then you relax a yeah bit. think about it. i've heard the term and we use it often too uh uh um but shoulders are ear poison, yeah. right? So keep the shoulders away from the ears, right? Yeah. Your ears are shoulder poison. Go the opposite way, just back and down. So just nice and relaxed. Um, so all, all too many times people, their shoulders are up and their forward stress and traps and things like that, but nice, good, neutral posture. Now, if we understand that that's neutral posture with some of the nuances we can get into, that's straight up and down. But when we run, we actually run with a forward lean, right? right? So if you lean, if you run with a forward lean, that means you're going to lean forward at the ankles and your, your alignment should stay stacked. But that line, so if you think about like a broomstick, if you put a broomstick directly up 90 degrees from the floor, it's you're standing stationary. And if you're going to start to run, now imagine just sort of moving that broomstick a little bit far, a little bit forward as it starts to fall off. And that's alignment. That's starting to go forward. This is a great drill we do all the time. Start with that position until you start to, you are forced to take that first step. And when you take that first step, fall into a jog, but don't lose that forward alignment that you've got. Yeah. And if you think about it, yeah, we're going to say, you got to practice that. You got to, oh man, you got to, it, it, it's, it, you know, cause it, it's, it's not, it doesn't feel normal if you're not, not you know, not, 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 not used to it. it and, and it feels a little bit abnormal leaning forward like that. 
Yeah. So you have to practice that. You've got to practice it. And even when you got good with it, you got to, you know, it's easier to keep it than it is to get it. You got to just kind of keep it in the mix. Because as you go forward, and I think we were, we were chatting about this um, not too long ago, as you go forward, the natural movement. So now when you take that first step, the goal is to keep your forward lean, that posture that we talked about, right? You're leaning from the ankles, but your alignment, instead of being directly perpendicular, is a slight forward lean. Um, and you should almost, I've heard it described, and I think it's its beautiful. You should feel like somebody's pulling your heart to the finish line, right? Because mm-hmm. you're leading by your heart. Even when we do this test, or <clears throat> excuse me, if you're running and you, you, you notice you do this almost always, the chest comes up and we run quote unquote tall, run tall. I've heard this all the time, run tall. Right. We're like, well, yeah, run tall, but not the tall that you're thinking. Because if you look at it, your lower half is still in that forward lean, but now there's a slight break in your waist because you're trying to get your torso perpendicular. That's not neutral alignment. Right. If you're still in that 90 degree mark where your torso is up, then you're not in that forward lean. And, and triathletes are notorious for doing it, right? Especially fatigue. Fatigue coming off the bike, yeah. right? And then we think of like, hey, run tall. Be like, no, man, run with a forward lean. Run with your heart leading the way. Do yeah. that liftoff test. And even after we do that liftoff test in clinic or that liftoff drill or step-off drill, um, as soon as they get going, they feel the tension in their low back. They're running in their low back. Yeah. And, and by default, when you do that, you're putting more of a bias in your low back. And if you're putting more of a bias in a low back, what you'll come to find out as we get into kind of what, what muscles are um, and what they're doing, you're blocking your glutes from, from working, yep. right? And your glutes don't work as well and you run in your low back. Now, one of the problems is you even have the prerequisite. Do you have the hip extension to be able to do it? So we'll go down a rabbit hole a little bit right. with that. But at the end of the day, it starts with posture. So if you're running forward and you have that, <clears throat> excuse me, that upright posture, you're what I think of as like behind your gate already. So when you get into foot strike, you're asking about foot strike. If you don't not in a good forward lean, your foot strike is it's the wrong order. Right. So then because everybody does what you what you had, had asked is immediately, right? We go into foot strike and the, here comes the foot strike debate. Right. And hopefully when we get into that, maybe we'll put that to, to rest a little bit. But it starts with that that posture and that neutral alignment and that forward lean as opposed to running tall or proud chest. Yeah. You, and those who haven't done it feel like they're running like slouchy McGee. Right. Right. But when you get used to it, it also feels freer. It's a controlled fall forward. You feel the tension come out of your back. You, you start to feel that you're just sort of like the run gate feels looser. It's right. not this tight posture. It's nice and relaxed. So so start with posture, man. Yeah. So I do a lot of my runs early, early in the morning with a headlight. Yeah. And um, you got to really think about leaning, leaning forward. Because yeah. you just, you know, self protection when it's when it's dark, you don't want to lean forward. Yeah, you, you want you want to be back a little bit because you don't want to fall again. And, and think about it: the subconscious brain is brilliant; it's hedging its bets. Right. And I, I wouldn't say don't work on your forward lean in the dark. Right? right. If you if you if you're struggling with form, don't do your drills in the dark right. because you're. It's kind of the the same thing happens on a treadmill. Treadmill it happens a decent amount too, and and why? Because the brain sort of you're striding out and it sees objects in front that like if it hits it's going to fall off so um now gates not all that different on a treadmill people you know tend to think that they're crazy different but if you're working on a forward lean you're trying to do that drill a treadmill in the dark is is not a way to do it um yeah and it goes to show you that you're just trying to you're hedging your bets a little bit it's not efficient but it's also protective right um yeah so yeah don't do it in the dark (laughs) but that's posture right so think about being upright 
And then just a forward lean, forward lean and try to fall forward. Just try to, on your next run, if you're going to work on posture of the first one, think about somebody's pulling a string from your heart to the finish line, right? And you'll notice how many times that you start to just sort of sink back. We, I've had a video, and, and maybe we can sort of post it. The differences between good posture and bad posture are crazy subtle. Mm-hmm. It's so, so right. subtle. Um, a good, a good um, kind of practicing that we use in clinic, now I'm thinking about it too, is if you lean forward at the ankles, just a little bit, not to fall forward yet. As you lean forward, just so you're kind of like on the edge of what you can hold, and then just sort of lean back a little bit and feel that in your low back, and then lean forward a little bit and feel that. And I, when I say a little bit, I mean like we're talking like, you know, small, a half small a centimeter. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a half a centimeter. And you'll feel the, the difference from coming in your low back, from, from the pressure being in your low back to then being freer. So that way you're more in that neutral alignment. And then when you're, when you're in that neutral alignment, now we, now we start to look at foot strike, right? What are you going to do with your foot strike? But, but all things should start with posture. Cool. That's great. Um, yeah. Any thoughts? Does that, I, I get, I'm going to get soapboxy on this crap, man. I'm sorry. No, I, I get I'm super excited about I mean, uh, talking about gait. You know, we were looking at efficiency, right? So yeah. I, think it's, I, I think I think that's key. Yeah, and then foot strike. Right. Here's my thing. I'll be. A, I'll I'll say this, and then I'll I'll get your thoughts as I say because I don't know if we've ever really talked a lot about it. Foot strike is annoying, right? Foot strike's crazy annoying. You hear so many different people's philosophies. You hear different people like instructing something um, that they've been taught, and they were a heel striker, and now they're a four foot striker, and now they're a flat foot striker. Um, and, and I really, I really don't like them to look at it like that. Um, and, and it's not because where the foot lands isn't important. It's because you're, you're missing, I think what a, a really big key component is. Um, and, and instead of thinking foot strike, we think shin angle, right? What's your shin angle? Um, and, and that shin is like, let's think it's the bone between your knee and your ankle, right? So that bone, um, your tibia, we're going to, Tibia is the main bone, fibula is the stabilizing bone, but that lower leg bone, you can try this trick. If you got that same broomstick, right? Here's a good trick to do. Imagine the bottom part of that broom is the ankle and the top part of that broomstick is the knee. And if I'm trying to go in front of me, and if I, if I sort of throw that broomstick with the, with the ankle portion out in front and the knee portion behind, and I throw it into the ground, which way is it going to go? It's going to go backwards. So now when people overstride, they tend to be really big, big, heavy heel strikers. I'm not saying be a heel striker, but what I'm saying is that like heels, and you're going to come to find out most people are heel strikers and it can be a really good thing with it. Um, It's that shin angle. So your lower leg, when you strike the ground, you want that lower leg to be at least perpendicular to the ground and better runners. It's inverted, right? So the ankle is actually behind the knee. Angle forward. Is angle forward. So it's, to me, it's a timing issue. So are you, cause we think of like running forward, the more that we can take a stride, the faster we can go at some point we overstride and now our heels landing out in front of us. And it's a big, big, heavy heel strike. And that heel, imagine that heel being in front of that knee. Imagine that bottom part of the broom being in front of the, the top part of the broom. Well, it's going to have backward forces. Well, yeah. those are the brakes. Right. Now you're going to hit that. That's going to transfer directly up into your knee. It's right. going to transfer up into your hip. It's going to compress into your low spine. There's lots of compression with it. Um, and yes, you're a heel striker and, you, and that's not good. We don't want you to be a heel striker, but those are big breaking forces. Um, your, 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 your outside of your shin has to try to slow that down. Your joints are under tremendous amount of compression yeah. and you're grossly inefficient. 
So that's a bad heel strike. Now, imagine if you pull back a little bit sooner, and by the time you made contact, that shin was vertical. Well, imagine that broom, sort of if you sort of time it and you swing it back as you're throwing it to the ground, it's going to sort of fall and pop forward. That's what you want. You want that shin to be vertical, if not inverted. Now, whatever pace you're doing, whether you're running marathon pace, half marathon pace, slow, long distance, whether you're running an all-out one-mile time trial, let the foot do what it naturally does. Right. Get the hell out of the way. Don't concentrate on where the foot works. Let your foot do what it naturally does. Now, there's some caveats to that. To down the line, maybe we'll and we can talk about some scenarios that are problematic. I can give you two professional athletes that that um, you know are good examples of this. But um, let the foot do what it naturally does. When you run slow, you're more of a heel striker, right? And as you go more to tempo and above, it starts to naturally become a midfoot striker. If you start to run, let's say two mile time trial and below, you start to become more of an exclusive foot. Uh, a four foot striker, your body's naturally blending the way it was designed, but your shin is staying the same at all times. Why? Cause you don't want to break those forces. So when it comes down to it, start with good posture. And then when you strike, make sure your foot or your shin is at least 90 degrees. If not the knee out in front of the foot. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that's, that is so crazy important. Now what you, your foot naturally does, I think is more times than not, usually correct with some little kind of maybe some asterisks in there. Let your foot do what it naturally does. And some people are a little bit more midfoot. Some people are a little bit more heel strike. Um, even the ones that are forefoot, we'll talk about why that's not a brilliant idea. Um, but, um, but yeah, think shin angle, let everything else go, throw the foot strike debate out the window. Most people are actually heel strikers, but not the heel striker that you think that they are. Um, it's just that heel strike gets such a bad rap because when the, the heel is out in front of the knee, the heel strike is huge. Now take that same person, huge huge meaning what meaning that like the, 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 the like you can see the heel, like it look right to the naked eye. You're like, Oh, you're a heel striker. Be like, yeah, "Yeah, you're like way behind your gate. Um, and that, that heel strike is, is just hot and heavy. Now, last thing and, and to see what you sort of think, but that, that heel striker, I see this way more than not. That heel striker and somebody, because it's so bad. That's what I mean. It's so bad that like anybody who you don't even have to have awareness of running, you're like, wow, that's that's really bad. You should not be a heel striker. I hear heel striking is horrible. And they go, for real? And then they try to become a forefoot striker. Well, now you're landing the forefoot. You're still breaking all the forces. Yeah. You're just transferring it from your joints now to more soft tissue. Your shin angle has not changed. Your shin angle has not changed. You're breaks, so you're inefficient. The right. forces are high. And now you've changed your foot strike and you're just training who's getting overloaded more than they're designed to get overloaded. Mm-hmm. And now you're a, a, a midfoot striker and, and everything is great. But then you wonder why you develop Achilles tendinopathy, right? right? Or you wonder why another injury happens because you're, yeah, 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 totally, man. And it's, it's, it has a lot to do with that shin angle and you see everybody going to foot strike and then they change their foot strike. And it's still in the same crappy position, just a different load to it. So, so throw the foot strike out and start looking at your shin angle. And and the best camera you got is in your pocket right Right. now, right? The the best cameras out there are in your pocket. So if you don't know, have somebody just videotape you and slow it down. And when you have contact, right, we talked about where that, when there's contact, as soon as the foot makes contact with the ground, that is your contact point. Where's the shin? Right. And the shin should be vertical, vertical um, or, or better. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Totally. That's great. I think that, 
think I, some, I agree with you on the foot strike. I don't think I think it's so variable for for, for, for everybody. Oh man, most it, runners are focused on it, and they want to buy shoes based on it. And I don't think it's. I mean, it's important, but it's it's, it's not. I would not. I would not put in the top ten. No, my favorite, and this is outdated now, but you and I will remember. Um, so Newtons were huge, right? Four foot lugs, four foot lugs, and and honestly, buying shoes is is boring. I buy the same shoes every single time. I usually try to find last year's model so I can get a little <laughs> more of a discount. And you know, there's shoes that come in and they're bright and they're like fun, and I'm like, man, I want a pair of those, right? Um, but their whole premise is essentially flawed, right? So they're for, and you don't see them as much anymore. Why? Because it's like sort of like, oh, I won't get into the vortex of it, but it's sort of like Hoka, whereas these fad shoes come in, they have about a seven year shelf life, 10 year shelf life, and then it's on to the next fad. But um, Newton's had those four foot lugs and they promoted and were trying to train people into four foot running, right? And their number one sponsored athlete that like lived and died by was Crowey. Craig Alexander yeah. and Crowey is a beautiful runner, man. Yeah, I mean, kidding. him and Miranda Carfrey, you'd watch them run and you were like, that's just a different sport. They're right. doing a different sport than I'm doing because right. they're beautiful runners. And, uh, and Crowey was, you know, at his peak when he was winning, you know, multiple Ironmans. Uh, and if you do a video game analysis of him and there's plenty to go to YouTube, watch it, right? Watch his shin angle when he's hitting, watch his shin angle, see where it is. What makes contact first? Crowey's a heel striker, yeah. right? And he's sponsored by, Newton the and they're promoting four foot striking. And, and that's all the things that you should do. Look at Crowey, run like Crowey and be like, so I used to love that in clinic because everybody was like, go ahead and run in Newton. If you want to Crowey's run in Newton, but he's not running on the four foot lugs. Right. He's a slight heel striker. Why? Because when you run an Ironman marathon, that pace, when you let your foot do what it naturally does is a blend of soft tissue and a blend of joint. Right. Right. It's not the Brownlee brothers who are running all four foot, who are notoriously injured all the time, you're not sustainable if you want to go that, uh, that distance. So, so there's a lot of things that are out there and that a lot of things that are promoted. And and I used to love that one because I was, it was, it was right there for everybody to see. They were like, no, like wear the shoe if you want it, you know, that I would get a daily trainer that that's better, but you know, model Crowey. Yes. Crowey's a heel striker and Crowey's a beautiful heel striker. Right. Right. So, the second example, would be, I'd be interested to hear, 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 hear your input, are the new carbon-plated super shoes. Oh, yeah. They give, they give you, we, and we both, we, 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 we run in them, we've raced in them. Do you, do you have to be a specific mid-foot strike person to get maximum benefit from it? Because the carbon plate, in my understanding, is relatively mid-foot to heel, Correct. So, yeah, well, think about it. Like if you're on, if you are running the way we talked about with that big, heavy heel strike and you're overstriding, right? So your overstriding means that your foot is too far out in front. And your heel is hitting. Heel, heel's hitting. You're blocking. You're not even getting the, the elastic. You're not getting yeah. the recoil of that. And the, and the of that. recoil of that is going to be backwards. The carbon recoil. I don't even think you're getting the recoil. You're, you're deadening it. So you're, okay. you're, you're hitting on the back end of it and you're not even, but if you got it, that's the time I, that part I don't know, yeah, but yeah. I would say you're not, you're not utilizing the benefits of the shoe. I don't know that it's working against you, but I am, I am really firm on saying you're, you're not getting the, the proposed benefit of what that is right. because you're, you're hitting and it's sort of like if you, if you take your, if you take your hand and you put it on top of a table and you just pull one finger back and you mm-hmm. let it go to that elastic recoil. Well, you're getting more of that spring back mm-hmm. from the shoe and you're not getting it when you overstride. Right. 
Now, if you run like Crowy did and had that slight heel strike, um, which if you look at a slight heel strike, slow motion, that it is barely touching first. So right. you sort of land on that outer side of the, the, the foot, which if you look at it, looks like a, it looks like a midfoot strike. But if I were going to look at it and classify it, I'd still yeah. call that a heel strike because you're touching the heel first. He would still benefit because you're rolling into it. You're rolling from your outer arch right. into your neutral foot. Right. And then coming back Here. off on your outer arch. Yeah. So that, that would give you the elastic recoil. Yeah. So um, that's, again, if you got your shin vertical, you should be able to maximize the shoe. Let your foot do what it naturally does. And let the shoe do what, it, what it's designed to do and give you that free energy return. But your job is to get the, the shin in the proper angle and let the foot do its job. Right. Don't try to correct the foot. Right. Right. And your mechanics, everybody's mechanics are a little bit different. Some people got more of a varus, but like more of a inward tilt. Some people have more of an outward tilt. Everything is related. Some people have internal rotation of their tibia, right? So their lower leg. Some people have torsional stuff. So hip rotation, all that stuff matters. Everything. So let your body do its thing. Right. Um, We had talked about um, um, Lionel Sanders. He's if because I'm 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 a geek with this stuff and I, and I love sort of looking at it. He's a he's a got a flat tire on one side. He's got an overinflated tire on one side. Is the way I sort of look at it. He sort of collapses on one side and he stays on his supinate. He stays on his outer arch on the other side. Um, and better runners tend to run on the outer part of their feet because the ankle's more locked out. Right. So that's why landing on that sort of like lateral aspect of your foot, that supinated position, which a lot of times touch your heel first. Mm-hmm. The um, outside part. The outside good. part. Here's the thing that maybe maybe we should have done it earlier is if you think about your foot like a tripod, mm-hmm. right? So you do a heel and you do the inner part of your ball of your foot, your outer part of your ball of your foot, uh, and those are three points of contact. Okay, so and the heel is in the back. Heels in the back. Two points of contact the, in the front. And the outside of the ball of the foot, the inside ball of the foot. That, that's okay, great. That, that's that's your, what we call your tripod. Yeah, you've got three arches to the foot. Yeah. They're in between each of those three tripods is an arch, not just the one along the inside part. Um, I think of a midfoot is if you make contact at the same time of the heel and the outer ball of the foot right. at the exact same time, that's flat foot, right. right? Heel strike is just a fraction before you make contact with that front of that tripod. You only make contact with the back of the tripod first, right. heel first. So if you were to slow down a video and you see that heel hit, just even a fraction of a second first, that to me is heel striking. If you make contact with those two tripods at the exact same time, that's that's a, a midfoot. A midfoot. And then a forefoot is if you land on those front two tripods mm-hmm. first. Mm-hmm. So it's sort of that that way we we define what what a heel strike is is and it isn't. Right. So it's a real fra- and you. I mean, I do this for a living. You do this for a living. I've got to have slow motion to see it. Yeah, it's. It's so It's not hard. an eyeball. That's yeah. when you said hot. I it's, said and it's hard to feel it too. It's really hard You're to feel it for it. yourself. You think, well, I'm running slow or I'm running in the dark. So I'm heel striking. Yeah. Right? But that's where the drills come in. Exactly. So you can get that subtle kinesthetic sense, exactly. but that's where we look at. So if you, if you do any sort of slow motion stuff, that's what we're looking for. So you can, you can land with that vertical shin, but maybe there's a slight, um, you know, bias towards the back of the heel first or, or maybe flat. And there are some like a Galen Rupp's a four foot, uh, striker, but what he also allows is at some point that back tripod comes back down, mm-hmm. um, as opposed to somebody who only, who only ever stays on the front. So, so that lets you know kind of what we're talking about heel striking, um, the hot and heavy one are the ones that like 
the that back tripod's hitting and the two front tripods are still at like a, maybe a 45 degree angle right. up from the ground so you can, so you can see you really and you, and you really see the thud in their gait when they clunk, hit clunk it is clunk. absolutely there's so yeah. much force across their their foot when they run yeah man yeah there's usually a big slap of their forefoot too and that's where the perineals the outside part of your shin oh good lord shin splints all the time Everything from that hurts, stuff yeah. yeah okay so we've done posture which you think is the most important thing we've done first thing We've done, done foot, foot strike and shin angle. I think that was, a, that was a great point. How about swing phase? You just you made you made the comment a little while ago about most of our most of the drills are based on swing phase, right? So you well, you so in swing phase, so so yeah, so swing phase, so posture, right? We do that start off there on the drills on the. Um, on the shin contact are going from the, so what I think of as the front half of your gait. So it's on the front part of the swing phase as it initiates contact. So even foot strike to me is initiating from the end of the swing phase to make that direct hit with the shin down because right. That's the back part. That's the front part of the gate. It's in the swing phase. And then it's trying to come down before contact to make sure that that shin is vertical. So we drill that open part of the swing phase. Right. Then there's the back end of the swing phase where the foot comes off the ground and and we want to drill that part because that that part is your toe off phase. Um, and we want to make sure that that's efficient and then things are set up at the front to be in a good position. If, if you look at sort of um, you think about running, look at the look at Olympians. Olympians are a great way to see what muscles are doing the majority of the work in in the sport because they're at their peak best, right? right? And so you want to know what physiologically is happening. Look at the Olympian in their sport, and those muscles are working right more so. Look at a sprinter compared to an endurance runner, right? right? Look at the glutes and the hamstrings and the leg strength and the big power yeah. of what they have. So there's a lot of generating force when they hit the ground. They are driving backwards, right? right? So there's acceleration throughout the gait cycles they get to the finish line an endurance runner is lean they got strong muscles but they're leaner they're not that's not about hypertrophy and power it's about do you have enough muscle power to sustain what your aerobic capacity can push into so um we are not looking to hit the ground and pull back super hard so um when we run i would tell you that i think the the place if you want to increase your your pace is thigh drive Right. So when the toes off, when you're generating um, the power stroke of the gait cycle is actually when the foot leaves the ground and then you're generating thigh drive. Um, Your thighs. So your foot comes off the ground. That same side thigh is now going to power through the gait cycle to drive that leg forward to lead to your stride length. And then when the foot makes contact with the ground, that's that elastic recoil. That's that return of energy that we were talking about. So. So the glutes really are not, do- that's why the glutes decondition as, as, as endurance runners. So I see it all the time of like, um, you know, get your glutes stronger, you'll be a better runner. Like get your glutes to fire and to work so you're a more durable runner. Right. Right. Because they don't do a whole lot, but what they do is important. Right. So the thigh drive component of it is really, really important. And we see a lot of people who are shufflers, people who really don't have a good thigh drive. And it's about setting yourself up for success. So, so on the back end of the gate, when you toe off, when your foot leaves the ground, the first movement before the thigh starts to go forward is the heel should come up. So when you're towing off that lower part of the leg, the heel comes up, making your shin bone, if you think about your shin bone, at least parallel with the ground, right? So that shin comes up, so the heel comes up, the thigh is parallel with the ground, 
And in that sequence, the heel comes up and then the knee goes forward. What we see a lot of people is as they toe off, the knee is going forward even before the heel goes up. So again, what you're going to see, it's similar theme of these are timing issues, right? So the shin angle on strike is a timing issue. And then this toe off position, we have this sort of quick saying of heel up, heel up, mm-hmm. heel up. And by heel up, we mean you're pulling your heel up towards your butt on that toe off just so the shin is parallel. You're not trying to kick yourself in the butt, but you're trying to get that leg up. So, so that's, that's the first step, your heel coming up. Heel comes up. Right. And the heel comes up. There's a foot position, but we won't get into the vortex of that. That'll just make it more confusing. But you get your heel up and then your knee is driving forward. And it drives forward easily if, you're, if, if your, your heel, heel is up. up. Yeah. If your it, heel is down, the torque on the leg is more because you have a you have more of a straight leg. You have a longer lever. Right. So the lever's longer. Right. And you got to swing. Think about swinging a, a stick that's really long and how much effort and kind of and how slow it sort of is to swing. If you right. made it half half that length, it'd be easier to zip. And it's about quickness of movement. So more efficient. Not power movement. So you're much more efficient. So just that little bit of extra effort for the heel to come up, a little bit of extra effort from your hamstring mm-hmm. to get that heel up, then allows you to have better thigh drive. Right. And, and that comes to our, our arm swing a little bit. You know, a lot of times runners with arm swing, we think of like if you can visualize yourself running and your arms are moving back and forth because we're going forward, they think that the arms are sort of like helping you go forward. So as the arm goes forward, we think it's helping us drive. Reality is the power stroke of the arm swing is the is the elbow going back. Why? Because it's driving the thigh forward. If you envision yourself starting a lawnmower. Right. Imagine starting a lawnmower and just using your arm and not using your torso. Right. Nobody would really do that. It would hurt your shoulder. You'd, you'd be on Moose's table, Dr. Harry's table, right. getting your shoulder repaired because you tore it starting a lawnmower. You would you would pull, but you would rotate with your torso. Right. So you're pulling with your arm. and You're rotating with your torso. Mm-hmm. That's your thigh drive mm-hmm. when you're running. Now, it's not as aggressive as that. But when the arm goes back, what you're allowing to do is that that same side thigh is driving forward. So that's your power stroke. And when your arms go forward, that's a recovery. So the arm elbow back, elbow back, elbow back is assisting in that thigh drive. So if you get your heel up, then you get a better thigh drive, right? So that thigh drive and that heel up um, is a game changer for a lot of people. I see more people that not need help on the back end of their gate right. as opposed to the front end of their gate. Okay. Um, yeah. So that's, that's the, that's the heel up. Um, Drill where we say heel up, knee up, heel up, and then the knee goes up. Not okay. not when you leave, the knee goes forward. Uh, and you'll see a lot of those people that, that um, if you take a video of yourself, the difference of walking and running is a walker has a stance phase at all times. At no point in time do they ever have any airtime or no feet oh, are connected. Yeah. So by definition, um, one foot is connected. Look at a marathon walker. It looks pretty incredible what they're able to do. But at all times, one foot's connected to the ground. And, and running as both feet are up in the air because there's bad recovery on the back end. More times than not, if you stop your video when the the when you're leaving the stance phase, when you go to toe off and your foot is still connected, it's that, that little split second where it goes from being connected to the ground to being off the ground. You pause it right there. Look at your other foot and see if it's on the ground. We have a lot of runners who by definition are walking or pretty close to walking because the other foot's already on the ground. Despite, and if you look at them by, with an eyeball, it looks like they're running. But when you slow it down, and it has everything to do with the back end of that gate. Mm. Um, yeah, and it's it's we'll cover a couple of simple drills yeah. to do. 
um, that that help you train this. But hopefully, this it's creating a bit of a visual to where, you know, again, if if you're around hub is what we do, and we do it at a very high level, yeah. and and but now everybody's got that access. So if you can just take a video and just start to say, okay, what are the key takeaways? When my foot makes contact, where's my shin? Right. Is it vertical? vertical? Or is the knee out in front of the, the foot's what we prefer to see? And when you toe off, before your knee comes into that mid stance where both knees are together, is your is your shin, as you can tell, it's all kind of shin stuff, yeah. is it parallel to the ground or is it still lagging so way behind? Up. Is your heels up? Right. Yeah. Those two things um, you know, are huge for your mechanical efficiency. Okay. So I think you've done a fantastic job, uh, you know, you're looking at the stance phase and the swing phase. Talk about those key points, I think, which is great. Your, your key points on posture and foot strike are good. So everybody who, who, who comes through says, how fast should I be doing this? What's my cadence? Yeah, right. right? Um, and again, it's a lot like, like foot strike. Yeah. Right? There's no perfect... Perfect cadence for you may not be perfect cadence for me. And um, most of us think that if if your cadence improves a little bit, you'll be a little more quick, right? Yeah. But you you may not be more efficient. Yeah. You know, so cadence is sort of funny. Right. There's there's so many different things and it's it's debatable on either sort of side of it. Um, I will tell you one general theme, depending on the person, more people than not kind of what we talked about um, struggle with efficiency more times than not. If you just increase your cadence by five percent, almost always good things happen. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying that like increase your cadence and everything's going to be great. And you, the more cadence, the better. Right. It's very individualized. But with most people and most runners, if you're not an experienced runner, uh, if you can just increase your cadence by five to seven percent, a lot of times these even mechanical things improve. Why? Because you, it's a what we're going to teach about gait is it's a timing problem. Right. So because we're trying to stride and go further out in front of us, we tend to have this sluggish, longer overstriding gait. And if you just increase your cadence by like take the number right in in one minute, how many steps do you take on? And we like to do cadence, not steps per minute. On one leg, how many steps per minute right. do you take on one leg? So it's one full cycle. One full cycle. Uh, and whatever that number is, increase it by 5%. More times than not, good things happen because your timing has to go up. And so your efficiency kind of naturally goes up. Yeah. And that's for a, a relatively like, you know, uh, um, a relatively new runner or a, a novice runner, mm-hmm. generally speaking. But but cadence is, is pretty funny, man. What do, what do you think about cadence? I think it's funny, Chad. I mean, I, um, I, mean, I work on my, on my cadence a lot. Yeah. And my treadmill runs, I'll... I'll I'll run with a metronome in my yeah. ear that that will that will, that will click because mm-hmm. nothing else 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 helps me to to run at a desired cadence of ninety or ninety two without a metronome in my ear. Yeah. So I'll I'll, I'll get on the, on the treadmill. I'll warm up good and then I'll set my my metronome for ninety. And I'm not a ninety runner. I'm, I'm more of an eighty seven to eighty eight runner. Yeah. Right. But but I do do think when I run at ninety. In my brain, I'm running more efficiently. Yeah. Right? Um, and if I get up to 92, 93, <laughs> like, like, who's the guy, Wiley Coyote or whatever, yeah. who's, 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 who's spinning and chasing the river. And I think once I get up that high, I'm less focused on heel up. Right? So yeah. I, I spend let, let in my brain, 
I spend less time with my heel coming up to my butt and, and more time with it working on you know being fast, which I, I do not think is good. Yeah, you're starting to get diminishing returns. Right. And you had increased your cadence from a lower cadence to like where you are now, correct? So 86 to 88, but that took work. Man. Yeah, but where were you before that? Like where were you before the 86 to 88? I was 80, I mean, around 86. Oh, you were 86? You were 86 the whole time? Uh-huh. I thought for at some point you were like 81, 82. Well, no. I, I might be on, on, a, on, a, on an Ironman course. Yeah, yeah. But uh, really worked hard to get it where 90 was a reach, so, eight, so 88 felt some better. Yeah. And you feel better and your performance feels better when you're there. Yeah. And I think that's a big takeaway from it. Right. Mm-hmm. Is there's no, if somebody tells you a set number, they don't know. Right. right? What we do kind of see is like, if it's below 80, yeah. get it up. Yeah. Right. Um, but. So 80 is your magic number. To that get. seems to be. And once, once you're, cause once you're like below 80, you're, ma- I kind of look at it like the same thing with cycling. You're mashing. Yeah. You're sluggish. Yeah. Especially on run. You're almost always, if you're under 80, you're walking actually by definition, almost always because, because the timing is so off. Right. So, so there's some, there's some like pretty like, to me, firm things. If I see somebody below, I'm like, we got to get that up. And like I said, if you can see, like most people, if you can increase your cadence by 5 to 7%, there's usually a pretty good positive response to it. Well, at some point, right, if every year for the rest of your life, right, you just went by 5%, at some point, that's not going to be true. Right. But if you've never sort of looked at it, for most people, it's going to be true. And, it, and it's hard because it's, it's neurological training. Right. It's not physical training. You get neural fatigue just like you get physical fatigue. And your, your body, initially, when you try to go up in cadence, you just run faster. Why? Because your body's sort of like, hey, when we run at this cadence, we run faster because this is the, our efficiency cadence. Right. And, and you got to learn to decouple that. Right. Almost like I think about like riding a bike where you shift into a smaller gear. So if you're going to work on cadence, yeah, get a metronome. But actually, and the studies have shown this, make the metronome in your head. Don't, don't become dependent on an audible metronome. It's yeah. okay maybe in the beginning, but start to get that, that, that countdown where you go one and two and three and four and right. one and you can sort of do it and you're 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 in tune with your body you can actually make a cadence change that way right. and by your testing you started to notice where's the sweet spot for you right yeah and you you found it so i i think it's one of those things where you play around with it yes if you haven't worked on cadence i bet you if you go five to seven percent increase i bet you have positive effects yeah. with it i could be wrong and, and in some instances i'm going to be wrong yeah. but you'll know that and you go well you know, this one's wrong but give it some time because it's not easy right. um and make that change and then maybe you made that comfortable and by the time you get comfortable maybe try another five to seven percent right and at some point what you're noticing is well, when I go up, I've lost. I'm. I don't feel good. My pace is down. It feels yeah. more effort, and so you start to find your smooth and your. Personally, for me, like I drift down into like a, a lower 84, 82 when I'm really getting sluggish, and that's that's not good, right? And for me, right. when I'm able to get my cadence up to eighty eight, eighty six to eighty eight to me is my sweet spot. How do I know? Because I've been working with it quite a bit. And and I know that for me, that seems to be kind of the sweet spot. If I go to like 90 above 90, I'm forcing the issue right. and I've, I've lost some of my efficiency and I, and I haven't trained really well there. Um, but when I, I get lazy, I, I drift right back down to 82. So I've got to be uh, mindful of that. So it's, it's test, right. And kind of play around a little right. bit, but for the most part, the grand majority, if you go up by five to 7% are going to be, um, um, a positive thing. Um, and if, if you're not seeing that, then you'll, you'll find your right numbers. Sorry, but that's rooster is going crazy. It's our, our vicious guard dog that will bark 
And then when you open the door, we'll run the other way. Lick, yeah. lick you. Lick you to death. That's our dogs, too. Yeah. So one of the kids must be knocking at the door. <laughs> but yeah, that's the mystery of kids. You used to see like 88 to 92. Mm-hmm. In reality, as I've seen exceptional runners run in like 84, you know, you'll see a lot of times where the elites run uh, in the upper 90s. There's, 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 it's not true. There's elites that run at a lower cadence. Right. Find your way. I care whether you have a vertical shin. Yeah. And what your recovery looks like, and then what your let your foot do what it naturally does. Try to maybe mess around with your cadence a little bit. Find the number for you because I don't know about you. When you get tired, you'll notice that that cadence naturally goes down. Well, you got something else. All these techniques that we're talking about. Right. It's what you focus on on the seventy percent mark and beyond of the race or training that you're doing. Because you get fatigued. Because you're getting fatigued, and you got you got the drills and things like that to come back to. Um, so yeah, so cadence is like all over the map. You can, you can cite any study and, and, and defend an argument that you want or fight another argument. That's how conflicted everything yeah. is. And, and I think, I think well, you, you sent me a workout, I think it was a, it was a year ago working on cadence, right. And trying to run the same pace at different cadences. Yeah. It's hard. It's really hard. Yeah. So if you're running seven, th- Set seven, set seven, the 30 pace at 84 and seven thirty, And then you try to run seven thirty pace at 88. And like you said, if you're not, if you're not thinking about it, you will naturally go faster. Right? Yeah. So you, like you said, you have to decouple that, but that it's not easy. It's neural because it's, and it's, it's neurological, right? Just like training is not easy. Right. It's become easy because you do it all the time. Um, it's, it's, it's decoupling that neural muscular kind yeah. of connection together. Um, and I, you know, it's funny, I, I sent that to you and then much of times just because it, it's a, it's a challenge for me. I've yeah. got to stay on top of that. Um, and it's happened over time. It's happened on the bike and it's happened in the run, especially when we go, uh, and we train long, yeah. right. We tend to become like the Ironman shuffle, yeah. right. And the Ironman shuffle is just where you have, yeah. right. I, the argument I hear sometimes from people is like, well, just put your shoes on and go run. Your body will not gravitate to what it, what's most efficient. And I'm like, sort of. Like it's going to gravitate to what's more maybe metabolically efficient as opposed to mechanically efficient. So the Ironman shuffle, when you're just trying to plot along and you're trying to get to the destination, you're doing any which way you can. Well, this is not a get to, you know, can't be, this is an efficiency. This is a race. So with a little bit of extra effort. So it's, it's, it's hard, but if you drill it and you practice it, you can, you can have good efficiency when you need it most. And when you get tired and you're fatigued and you work on these things, so that way you have control over and and the the i think the win with it too is like when you're in those like dark moments and you're thinking about the finish line that's too far away stop thinking about the finish line and just be in present time consciousness and and look at your form because there's something to clean up at every moment absolutely and you're connected with your body um and i i'll kind of reiterate your statement is training for 70.3 and training for iron man is not about volume no i mean that you you have to have volume and this kind of mirrors swimming right so yeah. if you're going to spend an hour in the water and you can spend 15 minutes on drills and become more a more and more efficient swimmer we, we all understand if you're a more efficient swimmer you're a faster faster yeah. swimmer so we do, most of us tend to do drills almost every swim session right but most of us aren't going to do run drills Every session, yeah. despite the fact there, it's probably even more important. Yeah, because that's when you're even you're, you're usually not fatigued in the water. You're fatigued at mile eighteen. Yeah, trying to get your ass back to the finish. Yeah, line. totally. Yeah, totally, man. And then, um, you know, it's easy. You don't. 
for running, pick, pick two runs a week. I mean, pick one run a week. Uh, pick two runs a week is kind of a sweet spot, I think, of um, you know, do some drills, right? Yeah. Look up A skip, look up A march, look yeah. up butt kicks, right. um, and you know, know what you're drilling, know what you're trying to do. Think about where's the vertical shin. Think about where the, uh, the horizontal shin is on the back end of the gate, where the vertical shin is on the front end of the gate. And try to do that, um, you know, one to two two runs a week, and it'll make a big difference. And that's kind of where I, was, I, I went off tangent on the, the previous part was I was doing long course so long that I just started to become complacent with my slower cadence. And then it's been hard to get back because I've been in this lower cadence. Because it's, it's easier to keep something as to get it, and I, I let it degenerate, and now it's harder to get it because i got to go back and retrain it as opposed to, Right. What's the black belt do when they get into the dojo, right? right. They practice their white belt skills first. That's why they're a black belt. So whether you're a new runner, or you're a lead runner, everybody should be doing their drills. Go go to a go to a high level collegiate or even high school, but go to a high level uh, track meet and look at all the runners doing their drills. They're at their best, right. right? And they're doing drills all the time. So it's something that we all need to do and would benefit from. Right, I agree. And it's and we we have found you and I have found to 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 be efficient and to to, to run and stay at this this this, this level, whatever that that level is. It takes maintenance work. Yeah. So that that, that 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 maintenance work to me is nutrition. That maintenance work to me is, which I stink at, is mobility. That maintenance work to me is strength, and and that, and that maintenance work to me is technique, dirt, you know, technique drills. I'm, I'm good in my swims because I, I I was raised swimming. I, I do drills every day, but I'm not so good on the run. Yeah. Let's but create it, habits early. It's maintenance. Yeah, it really is, man. I'm appreciating that now in my, my mid forties. I know you, you're a little bit older than I am, but, um, um, but we're, we're both in the same arena where it's, it takes more than the things we took for granted from before. You really have to be mindful of, and, and as you get better with them, it also makes you realize you should have been doing it beforehand and, and earlier yeah. in the phase of it. But if I want to be healthy and I want to, you know, do this stuff for life and, and what's hub all about is we're training for the eighth decade and beyond. Right. It's not just about like winning races or, or, you know, PRs and, yeah. and do it. That stuff's, it's fun to chase your, your boundaries and, and your, your perceived limits. But reality is I want to do this for a long time. And, and I've had plenty of issues and, 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 you know, currently I'm, I'm learning this new way of like, I got to do more self-care. I've got to do more of the little things, right? Right. Or else it has a lot to do with my longevity, right? And um, and efficiency is a, a big component of it. Like I said, mobility, efficiency, um, strength, stability and balance, right? Those are the key things I think we all just need to be mindful of. It doesn't need to be a full-time training plan, but it needs to be touched. Yeah. And not many of us, because we put run shoes on and we can go out and we can run, right? right? We can just do it. We can do it any old sloppy way we want to, right. and we can get away with it. Like you were saying, you know, if you have inefficiency, you'll end up injured. There's plenty of people with tons of inefficiencies and in, in not being injured. Right. It ups your ante, right? It ups your ante quite a bit. And then you're also, you know, you're going to wear out your joints, right? A misconception I see all the time. And, and, and you know, you're the knee, you know, ortho and, and expertise. But it drives me a little bit crazy when people say, hey, running's bad for knees, running's bad for backs. I go, no, bad running's bad for knees, bad running's bad for right. backs. Right. So if you have good support and you have good, technique and you have good mobility you have good stability motor control like we were talking about before the it. knee is essentially protected the back's protected because they don't move right do they it. don't they're stable right. but those flaws that we're talking about land in the low knee the low knee they land in the knee and they land in the low back right because those are the areas that get beat up a ton the quote-unquote runner's knee or the compression of the low back and mm -hmm. and those are the the victims of 
poor mechanics, of right. poor mobility, of poor stability. Right. And then it, and then you look at it and go, oh, my knee's the problem. Like, no, your, your knee's the, like taking the brunt of the problem. Yeah. So work on these things. It, it has a lot to do with your longevity, right? right. It's not just about performance um, or else it'll catch up with you. But I have to run 40 miles a week and I only have time to run 40 miles a week. And I have to take my kids to soccer and I only have time to run. I don't have time for this. As, as I remember from previous podcasts of Dr. Herring, you're not special right now. But to be kinder, that happens all the time, right? Because we barely have time and we, we, we just want to get our workout in. It makes us sane. It makes us happy. And, and I get it, man. I'm there too. And I think the takeaway from this too is like, I get it, right? And you only have time for that. And I'm not saying take away from that time. What I'm saying is take five minutes in that workout. Yeah. Five minutes. That's it. Make it part of your warm-up. That's it. And then get on with your run and, and do it. Five minutes. Right. Consistently. Consistency is king to where it doesn't... I'm not talking about taking you know an extra you know two hours a week and right. doing drills or doing efficiency. Just the little things go a long way. Right. So no, you, you don't have time to do it. But I would argue that like... Number one, it's not as time-consuming as you think it is. Number two, you don't have time to not do it because you can make the short-term decision now yeah. to, to, to run and get through it, and then you wonder why you know you got bone-on-bone right. joints, right? Why your knee's bone-on-bone, why your hip's osteoarthritic, and now you really can't run, and your quality of life sacrifice when you need it most uh, in your in 70s, camera. in your 60s. So my comment to that patient is, number one, you don't have to run 40 miles a week. You get to run 40 yeah. miles a week and you get the benefit of that health. Yeah. But if you ran 36 miles a week and you spent 15 to 30 minutes on the other stuff, then five years, 10 years, 15 years, we're still talking about how you're running 36 miles a week. Yeah. Or you have to run 40 miles a week. And we're seeing in, in our cohorts, Folks that can't run anymore. Yeah. So most people I see aren't paying their mortgage running. Yeah. You don't have to run 40 miles a week. And I will argue with you, you can run 36 miles a week and do drills and mobilization and strength stuff. And if you're a competitive runner or triathlete, you're faster. Yeah. So get your head out of this. I got to do you know, 40 miles a week. Stuff. Yeah. You don't. You get to run 40 now. That's great. Yeah. But if you you were able to run 36 and spent that time doing stabilization stuff, the stuff we've talked about, doing the posture drills, doing you're going to be much happier when you're yeah. old like me. I mean, it's a great message for them. And then I would even I would even back it up with a little bit of what 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 they don't get right. So um, if if that's their mindset too, and be like, well, not only what Dr. Harry said, and and you get to and and. But what are they fearful of is that they don't want to not run. Well, guess what? In weeks from now, months from now, maybe a couple of years from now, you're running zero miles a week. How about you run zero, right? And it's not because it's a willpower thing. It's because you can't because you've broken something. Right. So what scares you more? 36 miles a week with very little. And that's, that's such, it sounds like the same number practically. And you're going to get all the benefits of it. Um, or continue to do the same thing you're doing. Absolutely. Continue to do it, right? You're, you're breaking down. We'll try to patch up a little bit. It's going to get worse. You're going to you know, probably get frustrated um, and you'll manage it for a while. And then pretty soon you're running 20 miles a week because you can't do 30. Because if you do 30, then you can't do, uh, you, you can't sustain it. And then pretty soon 20 miles becomes 
10 miles. And then you wonder, what do you do at that point? And, and you didn't do the simple things early because right. you broke yourself down. So how does zero mile sound a year from now, right? A zero mile sound like six weeks from now. And that's the people that I see that can run zero miles because they've done zero maintenance for the last 10 years. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And they're, and they're sad, but that's, well, you know, we're, we're, so you have to, understand the, the efficiency of, of running to be able to run when you're yeah. 90. I wish people could spend, um, I wish people could spend like a day in clinic with us because you can see all the different timelines, yeah. right? You can see it not only the different timelines, you can see the difference of the populations taking care of their body and the ones that haven't and the wear and tear. I mean, you, you got to see it all the time where you see like no joint space left because they, they beat it in the ground. And that's a harder conversation because now you're like, dude, it ain't the same, right? right? It's not the same. The, the days of running are are behind you, right? And we're not ones to say that, but if your femur and your tibia, your your knees are like bone on bone, get a bike, right? Right. That's not coming back. Well, can't you fix it? And be like, I wish I would have saw you 10 years ago. Right. I wish I would have saw you 20 years ago. I wish I could have gotten better habits in your world right. because it's done. It's gone. That's a scary thing. That that to me is probably the biggest motivator. I'm not a fear. Um, and I don't want to instill fear into people, but there's consequences, right? So, like, go ahead and do it your way. But like, if running is that important to you and it's such an important lifestyle, you're impacting your long-term run health right. and you could have done something about it. It could have been, you know, a little bit of drills to go into your training that would have made you a better athlete, would have made you a faster athlete, made you a healthier athlete, yeah. helped you become a more um, durable athlete, gave you a longer lifespan of your run world, right. or you can continue to hammer yourself into the ground. So, I mean, choice is yours, right? Take your pathway. Mama says <laughs> you ain't special. You ain't special, man. So I think it's, we try to make it simple. I don't know, man. I, I, it, sometimes I think I make it more complex. Um, but if we look back on it from what we just covered, what are, what are the simple things? And, and, actually, I think you did an excellent job making a very complex topic easier you know, yeah. to understand. And, and in my mind, looking and thinking about what we just talked about, I think you have to understand there is a stance phase where your foot's on the ground. And there's a swing phase when your foot's not on the ground. No. And there's very important points of those phases that's important as you, as you go along. And we, we talked about the mid-stance phase and the mid-swing phase is, is, is being very important. Right? So I think if you understand the stance phase, you understand the swing phase, I think that's... That that's that's very very important. And the other key things I think you made very clear was posture with a neutral forward lean. Yep. We talked about less focus on foot strike and more focus on shin angle. Mm-hmm. And shin shin angle should be perpendicular to the ground or even aim forward, mm-hmm. not back. Right. And then. Swing phase was heel up first, knee drive second. Yep. So I think if you can leave this this podcast with with those key points in your head, that's awesome. Yeah. And the as we move forward, cadence is what your cadence is. And the last concept with this is you have to drill. Got to. If, if you're a swimmer, you're used to drilling. If you're a runner. You have to because it's not second nature. And your point about when you get to mile 18 or 20, 23 in a race and, th- and things are shutting down, if your brain can go back and live in the moment and you're thinking, 
knee drive, or you're thinking cadence, or you're thinking, I mean, all that stuff can bring you back. I think that's crucial. Yeah. So I think you made a very, very, very complex topic much easier to understand. I hope, I hope, I hope that's a hope. And we'll have, we, we'll talk more. There's so many different, we didn't even talk about the stance phase with like the, the strengthening component. We'll talk more about this stuff. I mean, we, we love it. Um, but yeah, that's hopefully the simple part. And if you just, I would tell you if, if you're looking to do this, pick one thing and try to like drill that. And it's only like five minutes worth make it part of your warm up, make it part of your routine, make it part of your habits. Like you were talking about. Um, and you know, see if, if you increase your cadence by 5%, even try that and videotape it and see some, maybe some of these things that we talk about immediately got a little bit better. Maybe that's the right avenue for you to go through. But, um, but yeah, no, I mean, those are the, the key takeaways. So in the show notes, we'll have some drills. What drills should folks, folks look up in your mind? So I think there's some core ones that, um, uh, and they may give you a little bit of a different emphasis. They may say the same thing, but as long as you know what you're doing, I think an A march or an A skip is really good. And what you're drilling with that is a vertical shin impact, right? Trying to, or, or a forward shin impact. And you kind of want to visualize your legs like a carbon fiber leg, right? You want that leg when it hits to be stiff. So when you, that foot strikes down, you want that leg to be stiff and you want to land with that shin. So that way, when you hit, like you were talking about those carbon fiber plates in the shoes, you get that elastic recoil. That's what you want back from the leg. So a March, a skip for the front end of your gate, that vertical shin. Um, for the toe off, there's the butt kick drill, right? And, and, and I've seen this sort of like done so many different ways. What you're trying to do with the butt kick drill is you're trying to just flick your heel up very quickly before your knee goes forward. So when you do a butt kick, don't just run forward and kick your heel to your butt because a lot of times when you're doing that, your knee is out, actually out in front. Right. So you do a butt kick drill. You're almost trying to be like a, like a donkey kick or a horse kick. You're kicking backwards. You're trying to, and you should feel this really good stretch to the front of your quad, a lot of times our, our rectus fem and our quad muscles are getting really tight. Mm-hmm. It's a really nice stretch to do. So it's a heel up, but what you're trying to do, remember what the what the concept is, you're trying to get that heel up really quickly to get a horizontal shin. So now you're trying to get the horizontal. That's the butt kick drill. Okay. Um, and those are probably two of my favorite. I did forget, obviously, the beginning one, which is the posture, right? right. So that posture where you go nice and tall, you lean forward. And you just sort of fall into your stride. When you fall into the stride, don't don't go upright. Those are sort of the, the three key. There's a couple other ones that we get in, but if we're just going to keep it really simple for you, yeah. do your posture, start off drill, do that maybe five, 10 times, right? Shake it out a little bit. Do your A march, uh, feel that vertical shin, uh, visualize yourself running, knowing that that's sort of what you want to feel when you're running. Um, do a few butt kick drills and, and maybe loop around that a couple of times. Right. And then when you run, just run, but they take one thing and sort of think about it. like, where's my shin? Where's my shin? Where's my shin? Right. Is it directly underneath me and, and try to get that better. And then maybe later on, you're trying to just get your heel up, heel up, heel up, heel up. Right. So maybe that's getting a little bit better. And uh, maybe another run, you're trying to like, just constantly trying to lean forward from the heart. So you're not trying to do all three, three things at one time. You're, you're picking one thing and you're trying to get pretty good with it. When you start to get comfortable with it, do something else that makes you a little bit uncomfortable, but, um, but keep it really simple, right? We want a vertical shin when you land, we want a horizontal shin when you toe off and you want to be leaning forward. I mean, that's really what we're trying to do. And then let your, you can have your own style within it and everybody's got their different styles. And style meaning cadence and foot striking. Yeah. And here's another little tip too. Go to YouTube and just start Googling runners or, or, or 
in searching runners, look at the different runners. Look how they have different styles, but look how they have all the same sort of core features. Look at your friends, look at everyday runners and look where they're kind of like falling short of that or where they can improve a little bit. If you can see it in others, you can start to get it. But, um, uh, I find that really helpful because there's not one perfect way to run, but there's some core things to minimize the braking and maximize the stride lengths of the, the thigh drive efficiency. That's great. So that's great. That's it. Clear as mud. Clear as mud. Clear as mud. I think that was great. Lessons from the Knuckleheads. So for this week, for Lessons from Knuckleheads, I'm going to do a little story to lead into it, and then Rob's going to give you your lesson. Uh, I, I watched a post-race interview with Sam Laidlow, who just won Ironman World Championships in Nice, and he was on the short, the short course track up until about 18 and wasn't doing that well. And he and his his dad's a triathlon coach, and he, and he realized he didn't really like racing short course. And he had seen Ironman World Championships in Kona. His his dream was to win, right? And so he and his dad sat down with a with a white piece of paper, and they and they made made a long term plan at age nineteen wow. that in three years he would hope to make the podium at Kona. And at four years, which would have been 2023, this year, he hoped to win. Wow. So long-term plan. He, he was second last year. He was second he, last Kona year. Yeah. Last year, he got passed at the very end, yeah. and this year he won. So he and his dad sat down four years ago with a long-term plan. Was something that he, think he, he honestly didn't think he could do, but they mapped out that. He, 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 he thought he could do it. But he didn't have the skills at that point. To oh, do gotcha, it. gotcha. Um, yeah, that's incredible, man. It goes to show you. I mean, what, what you don't have in the current moment. But that's that's the lessons from knuckleheads, right? Is right. especially going to gate. I mean, that's Sam Laidlow. He's mapping out several years of it. So, you know, as you start to look at maybe making some of these changes, don't expect it to happen overnight, right? It's it's you know, don't throw your toys out of the cot when something doesn't go right. <laughs> so two weeks into it, if you're not like maybe having the perfect form yet, it's just, you can't do it yet. Like right. keep working. If Sam would have given up when you know, he had challenges or a race went bad, or you know, he thought he couldn't do long course and he had a bad day and he's like, I knew I couldn't do long course. And then it never did. So when you're doing things, stay persistent, make a goal um, and achieve that goal, right? Do the small things every day. And even if the thing doesn't lead to it, watch what happens. I right. mean, amazing things can happen just with time and consistency and a, and a goal. Be patient. Be patient. Long course, you cannot be hurried. Yeah. So be patient with the drills, do them consistently, and, and you'll get good things. Woo-wee, man. That was a long, that was, um, we're trying to demystify and make it simple. I hopefully, um, hopefully we got to some simple things, but that was, um, I don't know. What'd you think of today? I think it's good. Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, I, every time we go in deep dive ways, I, you know, I definitely learned something. I, yeah. And I think you did a, did a really good job s- simplifying as much as it can be simplified. Yeah. We've got a lot more to add in future, in you know, future shows, but I, th- I, th- I thought it was outstanding. That's my, that's my problem. I, you could talk about this stuff forever, right? It's fun. And there's right. so many different tangents and vortex you can go down and, and try not to make it too, too crazy. So hopefully there were some good takeaways, but, right. um, but yeah, no, I, I enjoy it. I hope, hopefully everybody else enjoyed it. I know yeah. um, Dr. Harry and I are very passionate about it. And um, Give us some feedback. Yeah, give us some feedback, things you would like to hear. 
um, and different angles. Um, and there's plenty of things to kind of you know, dive into on this stuff. Um, at the end, it's all about you guys. So, uh, you'll find us at hubtrainingcenter.com. Um, you can send us emails at hello at hubtrainingcenter.com. Uh, so we're on Facebook and Instagram. Love to hear from you. And, uh, hopefully training and life is going well for you. As Moose would say, when you come to a fork in the road, go uphill, but watch your step. Do it efficiently. (laughs) 